Welcome to the BCMA podcast. offering a recording of the Decolonization and Practice Panel from the BCMA and Heritage BC Joint Conference Act 1 in May 2022. This recording is being offered to Orient listeners and readers for the upcoming Roundup issue being released online, in which Beth Boyce, curator at the Museum at Campbell River, and Hereditary Chief Cecil Dawson reflect on the exhibit Standing in the Gap. Please note that this recording was originally a panel presentation, so you are going to hear cues like, next slide. In this version, we did cut two of the panel presentations out of the recording to keep a focus on Cecil and Beth, but you can find the full version on our website in October. You're going to hear the moderator and additional panelists join in again halfway through for the question and answer period. Moderator Miranda Jimmy asking questions, Kamala Todd from Indigenous City Media, and Kathy Armstrong from the Lamb Conservancy responding in addition to Beth and Cecil. This was an excellent discussion and the advice given was really useful, so we wanted to keep it included. I hope you enjoy. Good morning, my name is Beth Boyce. My pronouns are she, her. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Likwitao, the Wiwakai, Wiwakam, and Kwika First Nations in whose traditional unceded territory at Campbell River or Tlamatao, I am privileged to live and work. I work as a curator for the museum at Campbell River where we strive to preserve, interpret, and share the collective human history of the North Vancouver island region. This is a diverse area home to nearly 30 different Indigenous nations from the Coast Salish, Nuchalnath, and Kwakwakiwak cultural and language groups. Uh, for a visual description, I am a white lady in my 30s with long brown hair and glasses, and I'm sitting in front of a red wall. So, thank you. Good morning. I'm, my name is Cecil Dawson. I'm an artist from King Inlet living in Port Alberni, which is Hupitjesid and Chashad ancestral territory. I'm a handsome Aboriginal individual with matching socks and bushy eyebrows. Good morning, everyone. All right. So, um, when Cecil and I were reflecting on what we wanted to share with you about this exhibit, we both immediately struggled with how to discuss such a big topic, a project that consumed two years of our lives in only 15 minutes, and it simply cannot be done. Um, we're gonna to touch on a few elements here today and hope that others can come up in our conversations. But I strongly encourage everyone listening to come up to Campbell River to experience this exhibition for yourself in person. It will remain on display until November 6, 2022. Uh, and it is powerful. I'm going to start off our time today with a brief introduction to our project and then Cecil will follow. Next slide, please. Um, what does it mean to be standing in the gap? For Kwakwakiwak artist and hereditary chief Geeksistalisimeji, or Cecil Dawson, it is to hold a place for those to come, to keep the position, prerogative, songs, dances, and history alive for future generations. Next slide. They were all at risk of being lost because of the impacts of colonization, the high population loss to wave after wave of pandemic, the deliberate persecution and erasure of Indigenous cultures, languages, and lifeways 
through the residential school system, the enforcement of the potlatch ban, and the many other laws and restrictions contained within the Indian Act. Next. Cecil interprets this hurtful history and its impact upon our society today through his artwork and the stories he tells of the history of this coast from an Indigenous perspective. Next. As a child, he was instructed by the old people to bring back and remake the pieces of regalia that had been lost to museums. This exhibition of Cecil's work includes old family pieces of regalia that have been in museum collections for many years, but never truly lost their connection to their family. Many continue to be used through potlatch. Others have been replicated by Cecil so that the prerogative continues with a new generation of masks. Cecil does not just seek to highlight a hurtful past through his work, but also hopes to shine a light on a way forward and demonstrate what reconciliation in Canada can be. Next slide, please. The process of developing this exhibition started with Cecil's potlatch in 2019, when his family copper, normally on display at the museum, was brought to Alert Bay to be danced as a part of the proceedings. Next slide. At that same potlatch, several masks and other articles of regalia were brought from the Museum of Anthropology and danced on the floor as well. Next slide, please. This exhibition and the stories it was important to tell within it evolved organically from that point. Cecil's artwork vividly illustrates the stories that he shares, while his story humanizes, in a very personal way, the colonization of these territories. Next slide. In telling hard truths through Cecil's artwork, it was important for two things to be present in the exhibition space. The first was that if we were going to be telling hard truths, we needed to address the elephant in the room, specifically the elephant that was the room, the role that museums have played and continue to play in colonization. The loss of regalia to collectors alongside the loss of the children to the residential schools was a large part of Cecil's story, and it was important that we not shy away from that. Next slide. The second thing was that it was important for this exhibition to be told through Cecil's own words. All of the artwork captions are quotes of Cecil sharing the story of each piece. Some are hard stories, and I didn't want him to have to repeat them multiple times. Next slide. Cecil is such a beautiful storyteller. It was important for visitors to be able to hear these stories directly from him and not just read them on a wall. Because we are a smaller institution and I wanted as much of our budget for this show to go directly to Cecil as possible, we used an iPhone to film several interviews with Cecil and then we used iMovie to edit them ourselves into several short clips that are presented in a small theater in the center of the exhibit and can also be found on the museum's YouTube page. I recommend that you check them out, especially if you are not able to come to Campbell River to see the show in person. Next slide, please. Also on our YouTube page is the full opening ceremonies for the exhibition, which was in fact a mini potlatch and a very emotional and celebratory day. You can just keep a couple more slides there. Um, and just the next slide as well. There's just one last thing I'll share about this project before I turn the floor over to Cecil. I think the determining factor was trust, not just between Cecil and myself, but also with the museum as a whole. We face no oversight or censorship from administration for the stories we wanted to share or the words we wanted to use to tell those stories. Cecil spent time with staff in all areas of the museum, getting to know each other and form relationships and understanding. I didn't take any photographs of us sitting down to have coffee or share a meal, but that time spent was hugely important to the process. 
We also had trust and outright enthusiasm from the staff at the Museum of Anthropology, specifically Heidi Swarenga, who worked tirelessly to ensure that Cecil's family pieces held in their collection were able to be a part of this exhibition. But of course, the most important part of this show is Cecil himself, who he is as a person, as an artist, and as a hereditary chief. His generosity, honesty, and how his upbringing has shaped the man that he is today. We could not have done this show if Cecil was not himself. Over to you, Cecil. Thank you. <clears throat> well, yeah, um, I guess what, what, you know, the, the reason we got so much response on that photograph and the quote of visiting uh, our artifacts is, I guess, what they call intergenerational trauma. And um, I didn't know what that meant or understood it. I thought it pertained to someone else. I think we all did because the denial was so thick and deep and all of us. And, and when we come to an institution to look at artifacts that um, they were part of the family, we grew up seeing them and hearing stories and um, and then when we have to come to an institution to to look at them and um, I guess the intergenerational trauma that that led me to that comment was I played with that dog in the goat mask and and when they told the story of of our story which those masks are a part of because our potlatches are are a reenactment um, of an event that happened to our in our history that these masks were on the table and then we got to visually um, listen and, and connect and then and then um, through whatever our reasons for ending up in collections whether it's financial hardship or under duress where they took these things or um, somebody um, collectors came and uh, we had to sell them or I can't imagine what the my grandparents felt they lost everything they lost their land they lost um, their language um, they were under threat if you don't conform that you we will take your kids away and if we take your kids away, they did it anyway. The kids went to the schools. And um, and they lost the language and, and, and a lot of things that maybe didn't really connect those thoughts is they also lost the regalia. So, um, and... We didn't talk about, nobody really talked about the loss of all that. We're still processing it. And it isn't just recently what we actually can say these hurtful things out loud and and not be um, afraid. And um, I guess my family, because we're so cultural that they had came to grips with the intergenerational trauma because 
they started to um, be on the offensive. They started to be proactive because my grandmother, who was a matriarch, and my other grandmother and my dad's side was also a matriarch, and 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 carvers and chiefs, and they had lost everything. They're, they were worried about their chieftainship. So the proactive part of it was they um, put all their hopes for the future of our people because of the cultural genocide that was in place um, to bypass the teachings to their kids because the kids were brainwashed. Um, because of the schools against everything that we come to believe up to at that point. And um, they put all that teaching and all the um, their hopes on the next generation, which is was myself. And I was taught, um, I guess what's maybe not really understood is all these things that I'm talking about and all those masks that you've seen on the slides on the walls, those are all my heroes. Those are the ones that I was told to um, at an early age. When you get older, you're going to carve these things for us again. We're going to, we're once again going to um, be holding potlatches and all that. And, and uh, I was just a little kid listening to all these stories and and all these things that they were teaching me was uh, forbidden knowledge because it was against the law. Um, when I think about my grandparents, when they they brought me aside and told me all these stories and taught me how to carve and dance and sing and all that, I always think about in a way that the rest of the world can really understand it. I was watching the, the diary of Anne, Anne Frank and how they had to hide their family upstairs away from the danger. And that's how it felt when my grandparents and me were alone, that this was forbidden knowledge that was being passed on. It was illegal. And now it was legal. And that was the atmosphere that we had learning all these things. So that is the the journey that we all take when somebody comes into your institutions to look at family members, because that's what our artifacts are to us. That um, it is kind of like going to visit somebody in prison and, and to come and reconnect with all that. Um, it It is a, traumatic thing for us to go I used to get panic attacks in big museums and to look at all these artifacts and when I seen the artifacts I seen the artifact but I also felt the pain and the trauma of how they were acquired and through pandemics and colonization that nine out of ten of us are no longer here and a lot of chieftainships and names and songs and families are not here and what we have left 
is the 10% that survived those other pandemics. So when we come to your institutions and wonder, reconnect and relearn, I think um, maybe be mindful of that. And we have to wear the gloves and the mask and the smocks or whatever um, for fragility or for whatever the reason, just explain it to us. And and show kindness and respect. And I think, you know, we, we're, no, we're no longer there, I think, as a reconciliation and working with museums and institutions. I think we're further down that road than we get ourselves credit for because we have a wonderful <clears throat> working relationship with the museum at Campbell River, and we always have. And now that it's extended to a Museum of Anthropology, not only did they um, share some of our connections with at our potlatches and we actually used the pieces, I think, um, I think it's a very good role model and, and we're further down the road of reconciliation than we all had hoped for and actually speaking the territories and ancestral lands of all the people that we did in the introduction and actually having this this conference and, and the subject matter I think we're um, I think we're in good shape and we're just this was just one family's journey through this whole colonization and decolonizing and I'm just very grateful that my parent, grandparents had the strength to even hope and to to put all that on somebody like me and and now what I participated in this was for just so we can have some um some guidelines and their blueprint for a better better tomorrow. And that's about all I have to say. And I thank you for your time and attention. Thank you so much, Cecil. Your your words and your lived experience is so important for all of us to hear. And thank you, Beth, for sharing this this journey of this project with us. Uh, we'll, we'll ask you to join us again later uh, for some questions. I want to invite everyone back onto the stage. Um, we have some time now for some questions before we wrap up. Um, in thinking about this big word of decolonization, I'm sure there's many in the audience that are are saying, "I don't even know where to start." This is a this is a um, massive undertaking. It takes much thought and responsibility. So I, I turn to our panelists and and want to ask you, what is your advice? on what is the first step that needs to be taken to engage with Indigenous partners. Um, Cecil, if you want to offer your advice first, I, I would. What is, what is your advice to our, our audience on how to engage with Indigenous people? <clears throat> I think um, mutual respect and honoring each other and 
I think that's a good place to start and show kindness because it, it's a new word that we're grasping because it was never always that way. It would sit down and shut up. And we were, we were um, robbed of everything and put on these little concentration camps that they called reservations. And, and um, you see the, the remnants of this whole process when you see my people um, pushing buggies around homeless. They're still processing it. So whenever you see somebody like myself who's further down the process or the ones that are, haven't come to come to grips with any of that and they see them out there, there's a very, very sad and tragic story there. And just be mindful of that. And I think that's a really, really good starting point. Thank you. Those are good words. Uh, Kamala, you've worked with many different um, governments and nations and organizations. So what, what's the first step for uh, your advice to organizations starting down this path? Yeah, those are really good words to remember. Um, and I would say humility is also really important. I think, again, what, what I've witnessed is a lot of um, entitlement that a lot of planning and heritage professionals have, that they have the knowledge and they have the expertise about history. Um, and so kind of being ready to acknowledge the limits um, of your own knowledge as a you know, non-Indigenous person um, is a really important first step. Um, and also even taking that step of acknowledging um, that you're on someone's territories and that there has been harm and that the heritage profession has caused harm. Uh, you know, and what has been upheld and even, um, you know, how archaeology has been conducted and all of that. So that humility and, and listening and truth telling and being open to hearing things that might be really uncomfortable is really important. And then I guess in just in establishing that relationship is to not push your own agenda. I think governments are like, okay, we're doing this now. So, hey, we're going we're gonna to let you participate in this process. And it very much in that line of mutual respect, it has to be about um, the nation's own and the Indigenous community's own um, needs and ways of working and not pushing um, a certain way of working and inundating people. And very important, you have to compensate people for their time. So you have to put capacity funding or you know engagement funding or whatever that is into your budget for your project. And if you don't have it, then you're going to have to keep working at finding that financial support for that participation. That would be my main thing to start with. Thank you. Thanks. And Kathy, kind of on that same vein, uh, you talked a little bit in your presentation about some of the, the pre-work that your organization had done to get ready for this opportunity. What are some of those steps that the organization needs to take before even engaging with Indigenous partners? Yeah, you definitely have to be prepared uh, and have some thought around the process you're going to undertake because whichever place you decide to focus, you need to be long-term thinking. So it, it takes time um, and it takes many salvos into, into it before you get results usually. Um, so in another example, you know, we met with um, the local band and then we met again and then we extended an invitation to come to our event and on year three, you know, someone came. So just realizing that it can take time um, 
not on our timelines, like just realizing that be patient, be respectful, invite, um, go to their events, most importantly. So if you see something happening in your community and there's an invitation for the public, just get yourself there. Show respect by taking your time to um, participate in things that are important to them and help you build those relationships. And then once you've built relationships, it, it becomes easier, you feel more comfortable. But you're going to step out of comfort zones and you're, you're going to you're going to experience things that are um, difficult. You know, I've had two meetings where, you know, I, I just had to take the rest of the day off. Like when you hear the elders stories, um, you know, it's hard to recover. So you have to be respectful. You have to allow the time and you have to have no agenda and just go with um, a willingness to listen and share and uh, eye to eye with respect. Thank you. Um, Beth, I know that your relationship with Cecil has been developing over a long period of time. Looking back to um, the start of this project and how it's kind of formed, I'm wondering if you can think about um, something that you would have done differently, just as advice to some people that are starting down this path. Um, yeah, I think the one thing I, I wish I had done more of in the beginning, especially because, you know, when we first started this process, we didn't quite know where it was going or, or how big it would become. Um, I wish I'd sought more funding because we are a smaller institution. And so we were, we did amazing things with the budget that we have, but I wish I had sought out some external funding to kind of be able to do even more or, or have even more time because some of the most powerful pieces that, that Cecil developed came in kind of at the last minute and I was a bit panicked about where we were going to fit them in, but they were the most powerful pieces in the end. So having even more time and more resources to kind of do more, I, I would have wanted to do that. Yeah. Kathy, do you have any um, looking back things that you would have done differently? Honestly, no, I think, um, there, there haven't been glitches on this particular road. We've had other projects where there's been glitches and the glitches have come from not starting with that relationship and sort of coming in later. And, you know, I think we've learned a lot. Um, you know, I think we all come with our kind of business approach of, you know, I've got something I want to accomplish here and that's that doesn't work. Um, so stepping back and taking the time works and investing the time. So don't don't think you're going to get an answer and and warn your funders and your providers and you know the, that you need more money. It's going to take more time and it's going to take. Um, but building the relationship then is going to pay off in the end because you're going to have a meaningful project. So, Kamala, I'm wondering if you can think of a time um, or one of the projects that you worked on or um, an evolution that's happened, what, what's something that you've been really proud of to be a part of that you've seen? I'm meeting there. Um, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think even just witnessing the learning that's come from some of the city staff who I work with, um, you know, I think for some people, a lot of times reconciliation and working with the nations is something that they're told they have to do they haven't necessarily kind of internalized or personalized that to understand like what that means and what their responsibilities are and just kind of deepening it. And so I know the person who I've been working with on the cultural heritage project who really didn't have that background, um, you know, shared some readings and, you know, through their own meetings with community members. So just like really seeing how the, the story, the cultural heritage of Vancouver 
really should be informing planning and that recognition that, you know, even just the ways we make decisions at, at the city level, you know, the assumptions are wrong. The, the idea of Vancouver's roots are wrong. The idea of whose lands these are, you know, is wrong. And so there's that recognition and a deepening understanding that, that it's not just about adding Indigenous people to heritage just to do it um, for, you know, because it's a good thing to do. It's also because it's fundamental to that, to, to undoing the harms of colonization and the erasure. And so I have seen that that learning happening um, amongst staff, which is great to see. And then I think the biggest project that I'm proud of, in addition to Storyscapes, which is a project we did around bringing out um, and sharing Indigenous perspectives on Vancouver, including urban Indigenous and the host nations, um, was the Stanley Park uh, portals, house posts that are now at Stanley Park, because before that, the totem poles were from other territories and the local nations um, were not represented there. And so we were able to do a public art call just for the nations. And now you can go there and, and Susan Point from Musqueam, her house posts are there. So, you know, little things like that that help to change um, the story and bring more visibility to whose lands we're on, um, I think are really can be transformational and I'm proud of that. So thank you. And Kathy, um, what are you most proud of with this project? Well, I have to say for all of us, uh, it, it, for me, it's a career defining time that this project is a career definer. You know, it's one I'm gonna talk to my grandkids about. Um, so, you know, the pride comes in thinking about it, you know, we, we've all witnessed, we've all felt the pain, but we haven't known what to do. And I think that's what we're talking about here, like what to do. So when you're given the opportunity to do something, um, you know, there, there's profound feeling of gratitude for the opportunity and and hope that you can change the course for somebody else. You know, we want to see the young Indigenous people from this area on the land and getting excited and becoming scientists or becoming cultural uh, architects or, you know, archaeologists or whatever they might become. But we hope that that might be the, the legacy from something like this. And then I think it's going to be a legacy for across Canada, other land trusts. We're, we're all working on private lands and private lands really are where the focus needs to be right now. So, and, and so the ripple effect is right now, we're talking about in our organization, how do we take what we already have? We have just lands all over the province and how do we make them accessible uh, to the local indigenous community for cultural practice, for hunting, for harvest, for ceremony. So it's opening up just so many ideas and it's, it's wonderful. And Cecil, um, with this project that you worked on with the uh, Campbell River Museum, what are you most proud of? Well, I'm, I guess I'm proud of, um, because all this hurt and pain and colonization and reconciliation was, was all abstract. It belonged to someone else. It was, and then when we started this, project because of COVID, because of their scheduling got all, um, I kind of snuck in there, you know, to fill the gap, standing in the gap, fill the gap. And um, so I had to really personalize the intergenerational trauma stuff. And I came to accept and, and fulfill the old people's hope because they didn't have a voice. They didn't even speak English. 
and through somebody like myself, through my art and through this story, that their pain and their loss was um, acknowledged and transcended because the show was up, because we're sitting here talking about uh, a brighter future. And um, it, it's been uh, um, a real privilege to be sharing the panel with everybody here and realizing that, that we're not alone anymore and um, that our story has been told and honored. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so this panel was called Decolonization in Practice and the theme for today's conference is redress. So I, I just quickly to close, I, I, I would like to hear everyone's individual definition of what does redress mean? I'll start with you, Beth. Don't start with me. Um, <laughs> that's a big question. I, I don't know that I could define it. I think it's a lot of things and it can be small things. It can be big things, but I think it means everybody taking the time to learn the true history and to work in whatever way they can towards um, righting wrongs and in whatever context that is. Yeah. Kathy? Yeah, that was an excellent, for a, for, a, for a spur of the moment definition, that was really excellent. You know, I think redress comes to, you know, what are the concrete things? You know, what are the actual actions that you can do? And I think what is often said is, I just don't know what to do. I, I don't know what I can do. Um, but you can open your heart and you can be willing to listen and you can make some effort. I think we all have to make some effort. We all have to do the work. You know, it, it's past time of saying it anymore. I don't want to hear about it anymore. I don't want to read your plan of how you're going to do it. I want to see you doing it and get out there and do something, you know, go to an event, attend something um, wherever you see the opportunity or talk to any of us and we'll give you ideas, you know, like just just get going and do it and don't wait for that um, to come. Uh, make some effort. We all have to make some effort. Thank you, Kamala. Oh, um, well, what came to mind, uh, in addition to what's already been shared, and definitely uh, to me, it's about moving beyond the idea of reconciliation, which also does put it on um, I, Indigenous people that somehow we have work to do to, he to heal their relationship when um, this wasn't our doing. Um, so it's taking it beyond that. And then <clears throat> I want to make sure that we think about love and, and brilliance and appreciation and the words of my late auntie Vera Manuel come to mind. I've been looking at some video of her recently. And, and one thing she said to me years ago was, um, you know, non-native people have been taught that we have nothing. And what they need to learn is that we have something, we have something really beautiful. Um, so I think that shift is a big part of, of redress for me. Thank you. And we'll leave the final word to Cecil. Cecil, what does redress mean to you? Well, I think about challenging assumptions and transcending those assumptions and um, and then to our penciled in history of our people amongst ourselves because of the the genocide that happened was 
we just let it happen. But now I think what we're doing here and the next generations that are listening, including my daughter who's right beside me here, is, is to make it happen. And for us, it isn't some radical um, thing that we're doing. We're just telling our story in our own words, and our own experience, because it was never really permitted or allowed. So I think somewhere in there is a thread of um, my point of view, our point of view. Thank you so much. I raise my hands to all of you. Thank you for your your insight, your wisdom, your knowledge, and um, sharing your hearts with us today. Thank you. And thank you so much, Miranda, for moderating this session and to all of our panelists for sharing your experiences. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Make sure you catch the latest issue of Roundup online at www.museum.bc.ca. You can find the most recent issue on the sidebar on the right side of the page. The reflection piece from Beth and Cecil will be featured along with our regular column from Tammy Bradford titled Being Small is No Problem at All and other articles featuring various projects from around the province. You can also check out BCMA's resources for the full recording of the webinar later this October and let us know if there are other topics you'd like to see us address in webinars or podcasts by emailing us at bcma.com at museum.bc.ca. Thanks.